This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. to bc lions are using cowbells now <laughs> i thought that was a prairie thing no well they're giving them or away for free thing. but but i mean the impact of them in that empty stadium is fairly limited well, you don't I'm want to wake guess people quite up an echo <laughs> <laughs> i'm jim mullen he's gord randall this is the gridiron nation uh podcast for another week apparently we prattled on for an hour and nine minutes the last time what? An hour and nine minutes. Well, it's pretty. We don't un- even get paid for this part. Yeah, it's pretty unstructured, and you just kind of throw stuff at me. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And sometimes you throw stuff back at me, and then we just make shit up. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been making shit up for six years now. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of making shit up, I'm just looking at the uh, OUA playoff scenarios here. Um, I'm not sure. By the way, thank you, Adam McGuire, for translating. Yeah, although it would be nice if you talked about more than just every scenario facing Waterloo. That'd be great. But hey, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers. I didn't ask you to do this. So um, it sounds so basically um, four teams are officially out of the OUA playoffs. So Queens, Toronto, York, and Windsor are all out. They all have at least five losses. They're done. Um, Carlton is sitting at three and four. Uh, and then you have the two Waterloo area teams both sitting at four and three after that wild game last weekend. Uh, Carlton travels to Wilfrid Laurier this week. And so from best I can tell, it's essentially win and you're in for Carlton. Now, if Carlton wins by less than 18 points, again, this is best I can tell. And I'm sure by the time most people are listening to this, the OUA will already have published their official scenarios, which will probably prove me wrong. But <laughs> Carlton wins by less than, I think it's 18, um, then they are, they are in, Waterloo's in, Laurier's out, I believe. And if Carlton wins by more than... No, hang on a sec. <laughs> hang on. I think Carlton needs to win big in order to get in. I think that's where the... Because they lost pretty big to Waterloo earlier in the year. I think that's where it, where it comes from. Um, and that's if it's a three-way tie. Or if Waterloo wins and Carlton wins, then Carlton is in. With a head-to-head tiebreaker over Laurier. So a three-way tie is not a good situation for Carlton. So they need to be hoping for a Waterloo win. And they need to win themselves for them to get in. Uh, Waterloo, obviously, or sorry, Laurier, not Waterloo. Laurier need, just needs to hold serve and win their game, and they're in. Uh, and then uh, Waterloo, same thing. They're likely in anyway. The only scenario that has the Warriors missing the playoffs is that Carlton winning big at Laurier scenario. So there are rumors out there that uh, U Sports is thinking about moving the start of their season a week earlier. So mm-hmm. they can find a way to uh, match the Vanier Cup with the Grey Cup. Okay. Is it worth starting another week earlier? Are they, like, we're talking about all these different playoff scenarios. It's quite possible that in terms of the OUA, you might be looking at eliminating a round of playoffs just to make that week up. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you may have to do that. Um, it, it's, I don't know, like we've talked on, I talked on a previous podcast about how I thought the sweet spot might actually be a championship at the end of September. So For the uh, CFL, but they're yeah. not going that way. They're, they're looking at one or two weeks mm-hmm. in terms of... It's tough, right? Because, because before classes start is a real tough sell. Like yeah. you're essentially playing in front of empty stadiums. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's often kind of sloppy ball. It's harder on the players. It's one last week that they can work in the summer. Yep. All that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there are some challenges there. I, I just, I see there being too many challenges uh, for U Sports to actually go and make this move. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I think those factors I already mentioned alone, I think there will be enough pushback on that that, um, that they they may not ultimately make this move. I, I, I don't know. It, it certainly doesn't favor the players to move it back, I don't think. Is there a way that they could accommodate a working season by playing the Vanier Cup a week earlier? Uh, well, they, they could. I guess, I guess the way they could do it is move back all the other, what you just alluded to off the top, is mm-hmm. move back the other three conferences a week to align with the OUA again, and the OUA's playoffs are, are compressed. Um, is attendance all that important to a number of these schools, though? Well, I seriously have to ask that question, because the, the marketing and the push around a football team for most of the athletic departments out there focus on homecoming, maybe a frosh day, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it may not be. Um, I, I It's hard for me to say. I mean, I, I wonder with a lot of these athletic departments if they see just there's so few home dates for football that they mm-hmm. that they decide I've heard that, that before yeah. that they decide that resources are just better spent elsewhere if you're getting butts in in seats for basketball games well you have 20 home dates a year and maybe that's better worth your money I've heard the refrain it's only four games I've yeah. heard that from people in various athletic departments before yeah so I mean it's the athletic departments that and programs that have created that critical mass with the with non-conference games and the anticipation that they're going to be in playoff games and mm-hmm. selling larger packs mm-hmm. that have created actual business and marketing plans. Yeah. Uh, but the, <laughs> there's a handful of those. You can count them on one hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, um, I, I, I have a tough time uh, sharing my honest opinion on these things because I'm very much it sounds like I'm in the minority on this, but I'm very much a fan of bad weather football, mm-hmm. and so I'd be to, I'd be a fan of them going until halfway through December. But <laughs> well, yeah, but you're a fan of bad weather football, but you're also a representative representative on this podcast of a younger generation who apparently doesn't even like to show up to good weather football these days, especially yeah. if you, like we're looking at um, at NCAA games with some pretty half filled stadiums, uh-huh. some half empty halls. And the well, CFL is actually going through the, through that issue as well. If you took a look at that game in Edmonton between Edmonton yeah. and BC, I don't think there could have been more than about twenty one thousand in in that place, yeah. and that would have been unthinkable even five years well, ago. And the weather was fantastic yeah. for yeah. this time of year in Edmonton, yeah. eleven degrees and sunny at yeah. kickoff. Win- Winnipeg had an excuse. Yeah, right. They had, they they literally were in a state of emergency, and they mm-hmm. they had that similar type of attendance mm-hmm. at IG Field, but Edmonton. There's no excuse for that. No, uh, I mean, what bails out those two levels, you talk about bowl season, the NCAA, you'll see some of those lower-level bowl games that are played in front of just about an empty stadium. Yeah. Um, but what bails them out 
and what kind of skews the economics on all of these things is the TV deals. Mm -hmm. And U Sports doesn't have that. I mean, you look at some of those games, uh, I think of bowl games in the States. I remember looking at it last year being like, oh man, like some of these lower level bowls, you must be able to just about walk into. Mm -hmm. And still tickets are starting at, starting at 30, 40 bucks. Yeah. And, and the reason is there's not a whole lot of motivation to sell seats because ESPN makes money off the broadcast deal and ESPN owns ultimately most of these bowl products. Well, since the uh, economic collapse of 2008-2009, one of the things that bowl games have been challenged with is people got out of the habit of traveling with their teams yeah. to, to events like this. Mm -hmm. that, that's when traveling really dropped off. Mm -hmm. And a, a number of these marginal bowl games have never recovered as a result of that. Yeah, it's true. But, but like I said, though, TV bails them out. Mm -hmm. and, and they still are viable enterprises because there's enough viewership and ESPN sees it as enough of an investment that they keep the product going. And like I said, ultimately, the vast majority of your bowl games, for starters, ESPN broadcasts almost all of them with a few exceptions of specialty deals uh, with specific networks. But otherwise, the vast majority of bowl games are, are broadcast by ESPN, and the majority of them are actually owned by ESPN. So ESPN is basically investing in their own product. With CFL, like that CFL contract on TSN is enough to keep the baseline numbers decent for all the franchises in the league, mm -hmm. no matter how things go. And, and frankly, it, it's unfortunate because I look at the local team here, and it's uh, I think it's taken a lot of the motivation away from their owner to divest himself from the franchise and find somebody else to run it, but it is what it is. Um, taking a look at the uh, schedule, though, for U Sports, let's get back to that for a second. Uh, as a player, mm -hmm. uh, did you appreciate the bye week, or is it something that you would have preferred to have plowed through week after week as you get to the end of, this, end of the season? Because perhaps one of the solutions is going back to what Canada West used to do, and that's not have a bye week. Um, I would say, like, I appreciate the bye week compared to what we had to put up with in the OUA, which mm -hmm. was a different scheduled week, right? Mm -hmm. Like, most of the OUA played on either Thursday or some of them on Friday mm -hmm. this weekend mm -hmm. so that people could have the weekend for Thanksgiving. I would prefer, if you're not going to have a bye week entirely, that you, are, you stay on schedule and play on the Saturday. I understand that out-of-town students and stuff like that want to get out of town and spend the whole weekend at home, mm -hmm. but, I mean, Saturday's not the main day for Thanksgiving. You still have some time, but it, for me, changing the routine was was the pain in the butt about Thanksgiving weekend that, I, that made me not like it. You mm -hmm. know, having to get prepared for a game on a Thursday or Friday when you're used to playing on Saturday is just... Uh, it always was a little bit annoying, especially those Thursdays. Um, so having the bye week would be preferable to that. But to be honest, I wouldn't have had any problem by week six, which is what that would be in the Canada West schedule, of just continuing to play every week. You mentioned television. And television and youth sports, there's obviously some challenges there. We haven't heard anything yet uh, about a place for the Vanier Cup to exist on TV. I understand there's... In English. In English. Plenty in French, not in English. But that brings me around to my other point about the Blue Network, TVA Network. Mm -hmm. uh, this week there was no RSEQ game on TV in Quebec. Um, there were some schedule conflicts. The uh, network went to uh, Sherbrooke, asked them to move their kickoff time back from 2 o'clock to 12 o'clock so they could accommodate a hockey pregame show that was on. Uh, Major League Baseball playoffs were on TVA1. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the school wouldn't move their time back. 
And to a certain degree, I have actual sympathy for the school in this case. They weren't the scheduled game. Mm -hmm. It was Laval that was the scheduled game. They, they wouldn't move their time around either. Uh, and Sherbrooke had 7,100 fans showing up and, and a day's worth of festivities. But the week before, there was also something that happened around the Panda game where mm -hmm. the schools changed the time of the kickoff and lost their TV with, with CH. Um, it, it, on, on a school-by-school -school basis, it, are, are they ever going to get it when it comes to it? I, I know that there is a belief out there from uh, some, of the, some of the conferences and some of the people in U-Sport that they should just be on the online platform anyway. But, but television is still a backbone. It's the most accessible backbone. He, well, here's the thing about, about the television thing that I, I think that a lot of these U-Sport schools and, and the conferences, I, I should add as well, seem to be missing is that with, with television, it's not so much the accessibility to the product, yes, that's better than, than webcast. Mm -hmm. But I, I, do, I see some merits in saying, you know what, in this day and age, we, we could probably reach the audience we're looking to reach just about as well if we're webcasting. It's the prestige of platforming on television. Yeah, yeah. It makes your product look like it's worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be honest, case in point, what we are doing right That's now. That's right. Right? We we've made the move over to the to the main television network this year and the amount of people who are just kind of casual observers that are taking notice just because it's there is is a lot, right? And and the and the reach is is growing, I would say more than it has in any any single season that we've done mm -hmm. purely because people are looking at it being like, "Oh, wow, okay. Brand alignment. This isn't yeah, yeah, and this and this isn't the the mom and pop you know, type show that it was for a few years, where they were just kind. Of, it was just kind of in its infancy and trying to trying to get a get a foothold. This is now like a real legit big time product, and and the same perception applies to U Sports. And currently, they're on the wrong side of it, where they have a perception issue. People treat it like a minor league because it acts like a minor league, and not not being visible on television. Aside from what we do, I guess not being visible on television is. A, a hit for the brand. It's not necessarily a hit for how many people are paying attention. Maybe they wouldn't pay attention, at least not right away, but it's a hit for the brand. Not being associated with the big time sports and not being in that same conversation. I think given where our uh, time slot is on TSN, we probably have fewer viewers <laughs> than we did over on CH where we had this uh, wonderful lead in to our show, which was the evening news that dominates nearly every screen to uh, to the west of Toronto. Yeah. Um, through the Golden Horseshoe, uh, you know, over 50,000 a show showing at 11:30 at night on a yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Uh, although we get we get replays through the week two or three replays probably bring our number up numbers up to uh, Here, Here's to, what to I've run level. into though is is I've run into people that I haven't talked to in a long time or whatever but people who are just running into it being shown collisions. in some restaurants. We, we, yeah, we call we call it know. collisions. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I went out to went out for lunch with my grandma and all of a sudden there you were. Like those kinds of things. But the thing <laughs> is people take that and they go, Oh wow, like they must be doing really well. Yeah. And I go, Yeah, yeah, I'm making tons of money doing yeah. this. It's great. <laughs> but the thing is, again, though, the perception of it is that you know we're a legitimate enterprise. When in reality, you and I both know that we're not. But yeah, we're rinky dink. <laughs> we're completely rinky dink. We're hacks. We're TV hacks. Uh, but but get, getting the point back to to U Sport, they 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 do need to be available on television. We've had this discussion before that 
I believe that the best place for them actually is CH on a week in, week out basis and focusing on Central Canada. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Central Canada Athletic Conference. That's right. And uh, I love your idea, by the way, of uh, divisions named Upper Canada and Lower Canada. <laughs> that, 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 that is a brilliant idea. I don't think the folks in Quebec would go for that, though. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Nor would nor would the uh, the Queen's Ottawa Carlton triumvirate either. Um, but yeah, I will say just just on a on a tangent there, that always used to confuse me in high school. Like you look no, at a map, upper is you're lower like, and lower is upper. Yeah, well, you look at a map, yeah. like why is the top one lower, Canada? What what? And then and then when you finally learned about it, for those of you who don't know, it's because it's based on the St. Lawrence River and the flow of water from the Great Lakes. Uh, so it was yeah. the upper reaches of the river was Upper Canada, thus Ontario, and then the lower flow of the river was. Lower Canada, thus. Cool. Yes, the the basis of Central Canada is drainage. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, drain the swamp. Um, uh, speaking of which, um, just as we're starting here, I had a picture come up on uh, Facebook as of my uh, uh, most liked picture on uh, Facebook from 2011. It's got to be involving red blazers, right? No, 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 oh. no, no, it's this. Okay. Right? Yeah, a few familiar faces yeah, in there. Yeah, so, so the question that I have, and you can describe the picture, it's from well, Vanier Cup in you're 2011. You're very close behind Christy Clark in that yeah, picture. Yeah, and there's Billy Green, and you know, but there's politics there, Yeah. right? We're in a political season right now with the election. Mm-hmm. When, when I grew up, um, football was a sport that, uh, at least for me, uh, crossed all kinds of political lines, uh-huh. right? Um, you know, Herb Capozzi was, uh, was a former general manager of the BC Lions, and he was big in the Social Credit Party. Uh-huh. Emery Barnes came up uh, from the United States, played for the BC Lions, was eventually uh, the Speaker of the Legislature, and he was an NDP member. Uh-huh. It, 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 sports, and especially, uh, especially football, didn't seem to be all that... Um, directed towards one party in this country. Yeah. Do you think that has changed? Do you, uh, think, do you think sports is a domain of the right wing? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether I believe it or not, but, but I, I, I see a lot of vestiges of it. Well, here, here's, how I, like, here's how I can connect the two, is that um, you know, the, the immigrant population in this country, the new immigrant population in this country, Football is very foreign to them, and it's mm-hmm. tough to take hold, of, and it doesn't have the profile of hockey in this country or the association with this country's national pride as hockey does. So when immigrant populations come in, they tend to focus their attention on figuring out and picking up hockey mm-hmm. because that that is the most Canadian thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think football comes along a lot later or in often cases not at all. Mm-hmm. And if you look at where political leanings tend to align, I mean, right wing tends to be the vast majority of, of right wingers tend to be white people, and so I think that there's an older white, and there's yeah. an older white demographic that that identifies with with the game in this country. That's inescapable. Well, and and yeah, and I and I think where that comes from is is that you know back in the days where that older white demographic was growing up, the CFL was a big big deal. Like it was mm-hmm. it was more relevant than it is now, even within the football world and. And you know, the people can remember back on that fondly. I mean, um, it's not not to be forgotten is how important the CFL was 
before the NHL expanded to so many Canadian oh, markets. Oh, damn, damn straight. Yeah. Right? And and so, like, this in this market, you can see a very noticeable changeover from people who uh, remember pre-1970. Uh, and maybe I would even draw it as far as pre-1980, because mm-hmm. the first decade of Canucks' existence was abysmal. But Actually, the Lions were more popular than the Canucks in this market from about uh, 1983 through about until about the start of 1986. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, well, it was when BC Place was still stadium, it was great yeah. team, yeah. Ruben Fernandez, all that. Well, and stuff. the Canucks, Canucks, I mean, they were awful. They the were, Canucks were yeah, terrible. They were awful. They, 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 were made that Cinderella, they made that Cinderella run in '82, but even then, they were the seventh seed in the Western Conference. They were awful. And I think they were sub 500 that 383. year. 383. Yeah. 383, yeah. and they made sub it to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> anyway, but. Um, there's a pretty significant divide in this market between between sports and sports loyalties. I hear all the stories about, uh, and I mean, I was born in 89. I hear about some of the stories from before I was born about how, just how much a part of the community and the fabric and the identity here, the BC Lions were and how important they were. And that identity exists in a lot of other markets too. Um, but prior to the NHL expanding, like CFL was the most important thing in Vancouver, in Calgary, in Edmonton, in Winnipeg, in uh, in Ottawa, it was the most important thing, and, mm-hmm. and that's what's been lost. Mm-hmm. But as that relates to politics, and as that relates to politics and sport, uh, we've seen, like for instance, with the NBA, how there is a certain set of politics which can be addressed within that community, within the United States. And over the last week and a half or so, we see how there's a double standard when it comes to addressing politics in China. Yep. Um, getting back to um, getting back to what we have in front of us here with the sport of football, is it? Here's the question I'll ask: Is it a right wing or a left wing sport? Um, is it a left wing sport for some of the participants? Is it a right wing sport for the coaches? Is it a right wing sport for the fans? Like, where does it land on the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a maybe a bit of both. I mean, um, when when you get to the professional level, at least you start getting. Uh, some of these uh, some of these American uh, immigrants coming in and some of the some of the black players coming in as well that bring a little bit more of a progressive attitude towards it but I do like I, again it's it's kind of divided along racial lines I mean universities in this country always seem to think of themselves as, as progressive mm-hmm. you know that that's pretty traditional f- for them um, progressive yeah, I mean, in the centrist sort of way though. for sure yeah. yeah I don't know it's it's you look at uh, political platforms and almost everybody is focusing on physical activity and things like that but yeah I mean I don't know football is very much a very much a uh, a team-oriented game, the type of game where you know you just there's a lot of unnoticed work that mm-hmm. goes into it, mm-hmm. and and I think that that resonates a lot with with uh, with the more right-wing oriented people around. I, mm-hmm. um, it, it's uh, you know there's there's a lot of people out there that identify with the lunch bucket aspect of it. The mm-hmm. the you know you're pr- you're grinding away five six days a week so you can perform once mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that that uh, is something that. Your your more conservative type people probably tend to tend to gravitate towards and identify with, because that's that tends to be a lot of the professions that they are in or used to be in. Well, I I think I can say uh, without reservation after spending time in the Western Hockey League, mm-hmm. hockey is a right wing sport. Yeah, hockey is a right wing yeah, sport, and and race factors into that quite a bit as yeah. well. Race and status. Right? Yeah. 
So, so I mean, that that's the thing is is that the thing that probably there's, there's balances not, the sport of football is is race. Here's one thing I will, yeah, I would say so. And here's one thing I will say too. If you look at the most football hotbed areas in this country, they're probably the most conservative areas in the country. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in particular Saskatchewan mm -hmm. and Quebec. Mm -hmm. And you know, for those of you who are CFL primary people, they're kind of scoffing on Quebec really. Like Montreal is a decent CFL market for sure, but. If you look at amateur football in Quebec, oh, it is on fire. huge. It's a huge part yeah. of their fabric, and a lot of people care about it and pay attention. Mm -hmm. And it was funny, I, actually, the first couple of years of doing this show it was a little eye-opening to me, interacting with some of our with some of our Quebecer fans, and and not so much our interactions about football. Those were always great, but just seeing some of the other stuff that that they put out there in that feed, and I was like, oh man, like I don't know that I knew how how right wing they, some of the, some, really some is. of our friends, and they are friends. I've sat down and I've had uh -huh. I've had beers with them and whatnot. But guys, you you make Bernier look like a pinko sometimes. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's kind of frightening for a guy from the West Coast. Anyway, I, I I don't know that I would I would necessarily go that far on it, but it, it, it I'm just, was I'm just overemphasizing. That's it all. it was certainly eye opening though, and yeah. and, and uh, I I appreciated learning that about that part of the country, which is still something that even though I'd spent a little bit of time going in and out of there when I was living back east, I still feel like I don't know a lot about. And I would say most Anglophones in this country don't know much about Quebec at all beyond Montreal itself and maybe a little bit of Quebec City, but well, the rest well, of the province, through my, next to none. Through my in-laws family, I've got to learn a, a fair bit about Quebec, but mm -hmm. also these fans that you're talking about that we that we talk to online, and in some cases I see face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. When I see the way the election is developing right now, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I think, and the way the last Quebec provincial election developed with essentially a right-wing uh, government uh, taking hold in in Quebec. I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know, and and it, it's it's not for me. It's not a good or a bad thing. It's just an is thing. And, and I, I I think the more people on the right in the West understand that there's a lot of people like them that speak in a different language mm -hmm. with a different accent that exists in Quebec. If they were to realize that. I think there would be a bridge for a hell of a lot more understanding in this country, but that that bridge isn't there. I agree, so, but I I can certainly see it developing because both groups have have uh, somewhat similar interests in terms of they're trying to protect a culture that they love that they're seeing being that they're seeing the the country evolve away from, mm -hmm. um, and and they're that common level of interest right there I think could unite. But yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's. It's an interesting political spectrum these days. You've got your your Western conservative base. You've got your Eastern conservative base. Thanks to to pissing off Max Bernier and having him mm -hmm. split off, mm -hmm. the Conservative Party of Canada has more or less lost that conservative base in Quebec entirely. Mm -hmm. Which is, if you're a supporter of theirs, which full disclosure, I'm not currently. But if you are a supporter of theirs, like that's that's a shame. Like that that's. That was the backbone by which Stephen Harper became the prime minister mm -hmm. 15 years ago, um, and they've lost that entirely now. Well, I mean, you could say that was the backbone for Harper becoming prime minister, but uh, un unlike uh, a number of conservatives, Harper was also very smart to go into the suburbs around cities in this country mm -hmm. and reach out and connect with immigrant populations and make them feel welcome in the conservative party. Yep. I believe that's what put him over the top. 
Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, they made some inroads in the cities. If you saw the, the electoral map in the last election, it was it, like BC is a perfect example. Very, very striking seeing the differences between the urban areas and the rest of the province. Mm -hmm. If you look at the greater Vancouver area, basically the entire thing was orange or red. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you got past uh, about Surrey, pretty much the entire thing was blue with a little bit of red sprinkled in and then you get to the Kelowna area in the Okanagan and there's a little bit of color in there too. Well, the, well also, you take a look at Vancouver Island and anything on the coast, Vancouver it's orange Island. or green. Yeah, <laughs> so. well actually Vancouver Island, again, last election was yeah. true and again this election, yeah. a candidate from all four parties will likely win a seat in Vancouver mm -hmm. Island, mm -hmm. all four major parties. I am not counting the People's Party. Sorry, Max, I'm sure you're a dedicated listener. But Actually, not on my time. little island on Bowen Island, mm -hmm. uh, apparently there's a, a law that prohibits election signs. We have one defiant individual on the island who's got the largest Maxime Bernier sign that you could imagine. It's got a photo. Is it's like a special he, order? It's, or it's like he's photobombing his local candidate, too. His head just kind of pops up there. <laughs> and it's just screaming for vandalism. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that because I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of positive thoughts about that whole movement. So no, neither uh, do I. Yeah. Neither do I. But um, anyway, I thought I, th I thought it was interesting to to kind of take a look at at a politic around a sport, because because uh, as I, I think we may have had this discussion before on here, I think in a in a at least a CFL dressing room, you're hitting practically every politic in that room mm -hmm. and i and i always held that in complete contrast to riding on a junior hockey bus mm -hmm. where everybody's on the same page yeah. And, yeah and if you're not on the same page you're not speaking up about it yeah and i would say like i would say at the university level it probably is like that too yeah. um but you you always kind of knew guys just based on where they came from basically you're like okay you're probably a little bit more this way or that way mm -hmm. based on where they came from but it's interesting if you look at university football as a whole um you know it, it's it's kind of a socialist model in the way that u sports runs it in that they you know there's they're trying to make sure the playing fields as level as possible but you're starting to get you you've over the last number of years have gotten this a little bit more of a laissez-faire capitalist influence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in in terms of you know the the Laval University pouring money into its program and turning it basically through conservatives taking backing. a neoliberal opportunity yeah within the marketplace yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know and and pouring money into that and essentially through financial backing turning it into a powerhouse mm -hmm. you know UBC attempted with some success initially at least to do the same thing out here on the West Coast I mean mm -hmm. it, it's uh, there's an interesting kind of mixture of the two where I, I think some people would prefer it to be a bit more of a free market and some people would prefer it to be a lot more protected. Mm -hmm. How does it compare to the NCAA and the way they run things, do you think? Uh, the In terms of politic. Well, the, uh, well, I mean... Is it more business? They're, they're just in the football business? They're in the basketball sure they business? It's, for sure it's, they are. It's, yeah. it's less about the political apparatus. Uh, absolutely. No, they're... they're they're not in it to please people as much as you know. U Sports is, um, and and you, when you say business, you're you're right, right? They, they uh, there's all, all these TV deals that are that they're usually beholden to. That's usually their biggest thing is broadcast partners and maximizing revenues, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is one of the reasons why I've been so critical of the Pac-12 over the last number of years because they're achieved. They have, and they and yeah. they haven't done right by their schools, and as a result, their schools are suffering. Pac-12. 
in my lifetime has never been less nationally relevant than it is now. Yep. And it's unfortunate. No, there are not eyeballs on the product. They have they have their games on Fox, but like the best Pac-12 matchup this past week was snagged up by the Pac-12 network, which like in a in a vacuum, you don't blame the Pac-12 network for taking the pick of the litter of their own conferences <clears throat> games, but at the same time, they screwed up the Pac-12 network deal. And, and only something like a quarter of households in the United States or a quarter of cable subscribers in the United States even have access to the Pac-12 network. No, it's because they didn't bring in a broadcast partner. They try to build it from the ground up and do it themselves. Yeah. And sometimes there's value to bringing in an actual partner to work with you like Big Ten did. Yeah. Right, with Fox. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I mean, but there are other, like ACC Network was done, from what I understand, largely on their own, and they've done a far better job of making sure that it gets into households. Be better where, partnership with ESPN, though. Exactly. Yeah. Where where the Pac-12 Network went wrong is they, they aligned themselves with, was it Comcast or DirecTV? I think it was Comcast. Comcast, yeah. They aligned themselves with Comcast and limited themselves because they aligned so closely with one cable carrier yeah. in a marketplace where there are a few giant cable carriers, mm -hmm. right? It would be like... Uh, creating a smartphone app and only allowing Rogers customers to have access to that app. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great that you have that level of distribution, but you're shutting the door on any further distribution possibilities that you might have. Well, not unlike the situation that Canada West has with uh, SaskTel. Yep. It's a similar thing. Well, and, and the predecessor, Shaw, that had you know, a wider range and wider outreach, but it was yeah. still limited in, in what you could do on that platform. Yep. Uh, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole different. Well, that's, fish well, that's, that, it's like, not a business. It's it's more of a community initiative when it well, when it, it comes to stuff up here. For sure, it's, it is. Yeah. yeah. One and I mean, it, that's frustrating in that particular conference because there's such a disparity of markets across the conference, mm -hmm. right? To to align yourself specifically with with uh, a conglomerate in one particular province, a crown corporation in one particular province. Yeah. Is is problematic at best and and those of us out here in Vancouver who are our UBC affiliated are the ones that get the short end of the stick in that arrangement just, just for one, example just for example here, let me right? for example yeah. they very rarely come out here to broadcast games at yeah. UBC because a the majority of the market isn't isn't as interested in that but b the production costs are much higher than they are in the prairies mm -hmm. so they if possible avoid coming out here right it's i don't know it, it's it, it can be frustrating at times. I'm fortunate I at least have some access because I happen to be, and this is not a decision I made factoring in Canada West football at all, mm -hmm. but I happen to be a TELUS cable subscriber. So if I am home on a Saturday afternoon, um, though it's usually Friday evenings these days, if I am home and there's a game on, I can watch it. And that's another thing, by the way, just, just to point out, playing university football games on Friday nights is asinine. Mm -hmm. It's asinine. Mm -hmm. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. The majority of your market is involved in, like, or not the, maybe not the majority of your market, a significant chunk of your potential consumer base is involved with amateur football in some way, shape, or form. And high school football, last I checked at least, is primarily a Friday night sport. Mm -hmm. Like, I know for me, I can't watch any of the Canada West stuff on Friday nights. It's mm -hmm. really frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult because I'm, I'm on the football field myself on Friday nights. And the CFL does this stuff too. Well, yeah, you could argue that the CFL doesn't have uh, traction within certain football communities because of where they are on the in the TV world with Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. Yeah. 
Right. Well, and, 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 and you can't get that real estate back in, in, on Sundays anymore. CFL's even looking at, uh, at Saturday playoff games again, which uh, I still think would be a disaster. But. Yeah, I mean, um, to, to be honest, your best bet's probably a Tuesday or a Wednesday, to be honest. And that would be, that's a, that brings its own set of challenges. But if you're. So, so, so the CFL would turn into the Mac of professional football. Exactly. Wow. CFL action. <laughs> um, and on that note, I think we've been going here for about half an hour. Why don't we wind it up and save something for next week? Sure. And okay. save, save people's ears since yeah. we went overtime last week. Exactly. Uh, that's this edition of the Gridiron Nation podcast. Thanks to everybody over at CFL Reddit for getting this out on a number of different platforms. And thanks to everyone at the Hubcast studio. I'm Jim Mullen. He's Gord Randall. That's about it.